seated. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us. At this time, you see Miss Amy to my left and your right. If you have any kids that would like to go to Children's Church, I know some meet her out in the hallway. Uh, it's a great time to be able to uh, send the kids to Children's Church. They will have a blast, I am certain of it. It is great to have each of you with us today. Especially nice to have the choir back, and thank you all the choir members for your willingness to serve. I was reading this morning from Psalm 118, and I want to share just a little bit of what I read uh, in my own devotional time today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Today we have a reason to rejoice. And it's not because of the things that we have or because of the people that surround us, although we are grateful for these too. The reason we rejoice is because he has made his light to shine upon us. We rejoice because Jesus has won the victory and the best days of the church are yet to come. As I begin today, I'd like to begin with a brief word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege of gathering with these people in this place. I pray now that you would pour out your spirit on us, speak to us, and we will praise your name for what you choose to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As many of you know already, my family recently had the privilege of going to the beach. We stayed at a place called Ocean Lakes. I think some of you have actually stayed there as well. One of the nice things about staying there is that they've got all kinds of things to do. They've got a water park, miniature golf, fishing, and a bunch of other stuff as well. But for me, my favorite thing to do is to go down to the actual beach where there's ocean and water and sand and all of that. Well, what was really great this year was that the water seemed to stay shallow for a very long distance. In fact, on one occasion, I realized that I was about 25 yards out and the water was only up to my waist. And while this is really nice, there are certain things that you can't do unless you're willing to go out into the deeper water. So there we were on a super crowded beach with hundreds of people playing in the dry sand, building sandcastles, playing games, hiding under their umbrellas as if they didn't know the sun would be out today and watching what was going on in the water. Then you also had a pretty good crowd of people playing in the shallow water, almost enjoying the cool, uh, cool water around them. And finally, you had a small few that would swim out into the deep water, swimming and riding the waves. Let me suggest to you this morning that this image is one that mirrors the church in many ways today. There are many who would rather remain on dry ground either living their lives thinking that they have all that they need or they just enjoy watching others who are out in the water or maybe they're just more comfortable with the familiarity of dry ground. It's what they're used to. 
Still others have chosen to jump into the spiritual waters, but they only want to go so far. They like being in the water and certainly find it refreshing, but they'll never be fully enveloped by it. And finally, there are a few who will choose to go deep into the deep water of faith, experiencing all that God has available to us. Let me suggest that this is the same kind of world which Jesus dealt with 2,000 years ago. Mark chapter 4, which is where we're going to be today, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can. Mark chapter 4 tells of an encounter by the lake where Jesus is addressing the crowd. And I want you to listen to the passage. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, before I get into what Jesus is teaching here, I want you to understand his context, what he was looking at as he preached that day. The passage begins by saying that, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This suggests a couple of things for us. First, it suggests that this is not the first time that Jesus has sat down for such a lesson. It began with the word, again. But the other part of this is that the crowds knew exactly what to expect when they came to see Jesus. Even though this is still very early in Jesus's ministry, it would seem that he already has quite a following. People expect to hear something unique. Why are they coming? Because he speaks with truth and power, and it's something worth listening to. It says that a crowd had gathered around him. In fact, it's such a large crowd that they seem to be pressing in on him. But as he looks out at the crowd that day, he had to know that not everyone in the crowd was looking for the same thing. I told you that they knew what to expect. They knew that he would speak with truth and power. Some probably didn't come because they wanted the truth that he would present. They wanted the power that he would present. They wanted the show. They wanted to see what this Jesus would do, not just what he would say. Not all of them came looking for the same thing. He also had to know that not everyone in the crowd was in the same place. Many of them were going through things that were unique to them. Their situation may have been great today, or maybe it was terrible. They were not coming as if they were in the same place. And he had to know that not everyone in the crowd 
would be willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. In fact, even among his own disciples, there would only be one disciple who is noted as being present at the cross. So I want you to keep this in context. Keep this context in mind as Jesus addressed the crowd. Now, this is the first of the parables to be recorded in the book of Mark, and it's often referred to as the parable of the sower. But the passage really isn't about the sower so much as it is about the soil. The sower is God himself, and all we get regarding the Lord from this passage is that he sows generously. But for the sake of clarity, I want to share with you what we already know about the sower. First, I want you to know that the sower's passion is for you and for me. He cares deeply for all of humanity. In fact, from the moment that you were conceived, God cared for you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God declares, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And just to make sure that we understand how much God values us, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. But just as God is concerned for our well-being in this life, he has an even greater passion for us to be present in the life to come. You've all heard me mention it before many times that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, we read that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. In fact, the sower's passion naturally leads to the sower's plan. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 declares that you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5, that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In other words, regarding his passion and his plan, God, the sower, is madly in love with you. He longs to be with you. In fact, he always has longed for that. He longs for you to bear his name and to represent him to the rest of humanity but there's one more thing that I want you to know about the sower this morning. Not only is he passionate about you, not only does he have a plan for you, but he also has a promise for those who will trust in him. Romans 6.22 describes what awaits those who trust in the Lord. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. 
And in John 4, 14, Jesus declares that whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And finally, in Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, John says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The point of all of this is to say that the sower never changes. His passion has always been for humanity to be in a right relationship with him. His plan has always been to redeem humanity from sin. And his promise has always been eternal life. That's why he's casting this seed so generously in our parable today. He's offering all of humanity the opportunity to be given true life, as many who would receive it. But as stable and constant as the sower is, the soil seems so diverse. In our story today, there are actually four different types of soil that are described in this parable. And each type of soil gives us a glimpse of humanity. By the way, the way people pronounce the word soil can differ. When I was in Pennsylvania, it was soil. Uh, here it's just soul. So whichever one I use, just forgive me and show me some grace. The first type of soil is described as simply along the path. Imagine for a moment that you are sowing grass seed, and this is the seed that lands on your sidewalk. The ground is too hard and the concrete will need to be removed before the ground will actually be able to cultivate any growth. The soil itself represents the individual who has become so hard-hearted that they want nothing to do with the gospel message. They're perhaps bitter toward the church or they've simply become so jaded against anything that may infringe on their own selfish desires, and they will not receive the seed of God's word no matter what happens in their life. At least that's the way we would perceive them. There's a little side note here that I want you to catch. I know that we've already talked about the sower, but I want you to realize that he already knows that the ground is too hard to cultivate any growth. Yet he throws the seed there anyways. This is because the sower's heart never changes, regardless of the condition of the soil. What does this mean for you? If you are that person who has no interest in Jesus right now, you should be either encouraged or discouraged, because God is not going to stop what he is doing. God is still reaching out to you. He is still sowing the seed, and he is going to continue to do so as long as you have breath in you. He loves you, and he wants to see you changed. But another application of that is seen in 
those people whom we might label as lost causes. We see the hardness of their hearts and we can't imagine a way that God could actually redeem them. But I remind you today that there have been many who have been moved from along the path into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. They were bitter. They were hard-hearted. Maybe some of them were you. And if God could change your life, then God could change anyone's life. Now, the second type of soul is similar to the first, but it is a step in the right direction. We're told that some of the seed fell on rocky places, and the ground is later described as being shallow. When a seed is planted in shallow soil, it may often start to grow, and you'll see at least some signs of life, but typically that life is brief. The soil is just not deep enough to sustain life. There's not enough water for the plant, and eventually the sun will scorch the plant, and it will die. The soil represents the person who starts out very enthusiastic about their faith, but their roots never get deep enough. Life happens. Tragedy strikes, and they just get busy, and their faith begins to fade. Maybe it's the compromise we talked about a few weeks ago with David, where it wasn't necessarily that he began with a heart of sin, but he began with a heart of compromise that blossomed into sin. Their faith never gets below the surface, and it cannot survive the trials and hardships of life. Plants need roots to go deep to get water and the nutrients to survive. Similarly, Christians need deep roots that will continually renew and refresh their faith. And I want to come back to this type of soil in just a few moments, but let me also consider the last two types of soil. The third type of soil that is mentioned is that which is already dominated by thorns. In this case, the issue is not a lack of depth or nutrients. They are there. The issue is not the hardness of soil. It is simply the fact that sometimes it's not just the good seed that is fighting for those nutrients. This, this soil represents those who may look good on the outside, but they have let sin creep in on the inside. Or perhaps it's simply those who are so busy with other things and God ends up having to take a back seat. Although they might say that Jesus is their Lord of everything, their lives tell a different story. They haven't fully turned their lives over to him. And eventually, that path will also lead to death. Because what was filled with such great potential will be choked out by the many weeds that are also present. There's an author, his name is Mark Moore, and he put it this way in his book, The Chronological Life of Christ. He said, concerning the third type of soul, it is incorrect to picture little seeds being thrown in the middle of a weed patch. The thorns, if any are left after the hot, dry summer, would be plowed under after the seed has been sown. The true picture is good seed competing with bad seed. 
Luke even uses the word symphio, meaning to grow up together. The implication is obvious. Our lives may look pure. Ostensibly, we are in no danger of bad weeds, but the seeds are there. On the outside, everything looks good. But so often, we have allowed other things to remain that do not belong. And eventually, if we allow them to remain, they will begin to choke out the good that God is looking to do in us. That is why it's so important to guard our hearts. We need to be constantly looking out for anything that wants to attack our lives. In fact, I'll add that this is not merely a concern for the new believer. This is something that we must always be alert to. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 that we must be careful when you think you are standing strong. His warning was that if you let your guard down, you are in grave spiritual danger. Don't let compromises and sin choke out, choke out what God has placed in you. And finally, the last type of soil is the good soil. Obviously, the seed that falls on this soil will thrive, producing all kinds of fruit. And who doesn't want to be in that kind of soil? The person whose life has good soil is the one who is most open to the Lord's leading in them. This is the person who hears the word and eagerly wants to dig deeper. They want to know more. They want to know how this might apply to their lives. It's not enough to just hear the preacher say it. I want to know what the word tells me. I hope and I pray that for many of you here today that this describes you. My prayer is that each of you will have a hunger and a thirst for more of Jesus. Yet I realize that for far too many in the body of Christ, this would not be the case. What is clear to me is that God will only take you as far as you are ready to go. And maybe the issue isn't just being ready, but being willing. The reality is that God longs to see his word take root in your life. But you must be willing or it simply will not happen. Do you long for God to rework the soil in your life? Are you willing to remove the thorns and the weeds that threaten to choke out your faith? Or have you already had enough of this Jesus? Are you good being in the rocky ground or the thorny ground or even along the path? I told you earlier that I wanted to go back to the soil that was shallow, the rocky places. When I first mentioned this soil, I suggested that this soil represented those who started out strong, but they never grew. But I fear that this may be the soil that most accurately represents the majority of people in church today. Maybe even me sometimes. I met with another pastor this week and we talked about the need for the God of more. I'm not talking about the God of more people. I'm not talking about the God of more things. I'm talking about the God of more Jesus, the God of more grace, the God of more hope, the God of more transformation, the God of more fulfillment. What I'm talking about here 
is that I don't want a Christian life that's just as good as everybody else. I want to know that the Lord's presence is so real in me that I have to be changed. I cannot stay the same. I started this morning by talking about deep water. Remember that I said that there are many who are still on dry ground and others who are in the shallow water. But a few are willing to go out into the deep. There's a great story that I'll close with from the book of Joshua that will illustrate this today. The Israelites had been 40 years waiting to get into the promised land. And finally the day arrives. In Joshua 3, 5, the Israelites are told to consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. That next morning, while the Jordan River is at flood stage, Joshua instructs the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water and to begin to walk across to the other side. I told you it was at flood stage. It's probably the worst time of year for them to cross this river. This was a place they had been probably camped out for at least a year. At the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, we are told that they camped out east of the Jordan across from Jericho. Well, the very first place they would go once they crossed the Jordan, first city they would take is Jericho. That means they had been there for about a year. They knew that this is not the time to cross. They probably also knew that there are other places we could cross. And it would be better if we went upstream just a little bit. But Joshua instructed them, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Have you ever seen a river when it's at flood stage? The water rages. The ground is soft. It wouldn't take much for someone to be killed, the people in Kentucky today can attest to that. I remember many years ago when I lived in Colorado, I was doing some fly fishing with a buddy and he was walking in ankle deep water right through the middle of a stream. Suddenly he found a sinkhole and he sunk completely down to his waist. It was actually a pretty scary situation and he ended up actually losing his waders in the process. We could not get them out. Anyways, what Joshua does here is intriguing to me. It's not the first time that the Israelites had to cross a body of water. Moses had previously led them across the Red Sea. But do you remember what happened then? Moses held out his staff out over the water and suddenly the water began to part. And everyone simply walked across on dry ground. But with Joshua, the priests who are carrying the ark are instructed to walk into the water. Now Joshua 3 tells us that as soon as the feet of the priests touched the water, that the stream of the water was cut off from upstream. But I wonder how deep those priests would have been willing to go before they decided to turn back? How deep are you willing to go before you will turn back? 
You know, it's interesting, very few people actually touched the water that day. There were a few priests who did, but the vast majority of the Israelites stood back waiting for the priests to do their thing and then for God to do his thing. But what if God is calling you to be the one who would walk into the water, into the deep water? At times, I have been content with being just as good as everyone else. I've been content with playing in the shallow water, but I want more. I want to go deeper. I have to go deeper. I want the Spirit of God to completely wash over me, leaving nothing but what is pleasing to him. My fear is that there are so few people that long for that, and I hope that every person in this room longs for that. I want that for you. We live in a culture that is continually pushing God to the margins. The water keeps getting more and more shallow. I'll get a little bit of Jesus when I go to church on Sunday. That is, if I go to church on Sunday. I'll choose to abstain from things like alcohol and drugs, but I'll let other areas of sin weasel their way into my life because I don't want it to become too uncomfortable. I'll be a man of integrity most of the time, but not with my taxes or with my employer or my teacher. The psalmist said that as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs after you. And I pray that you would long after Jesus so much that you could never be satisfied with less. Many years ago as a youth pastor, I had done well. I'd been a youth pastor for five years in a town called Burlington, North Carolina. Uh, It had been a very rewarding ministry. Uh, We actually saw a total of 11 people go into full-time Christian ministry out of that youth group, which was fantastic. But after five years of youth ministry, I was at a youth camp and I realized that the things we were doing at camp, I could actually do an awful lot more if I put some of those things into practice. We spent time praying, we spent time worshiping, we spent time just drawing close to the Lord. And what happened was over those first five years, we never averaged more than 16 kids in my youth ministry. The last two years that I was at that church, we averaged between 40 and 50 both years. And I wonder what the difference was. I wonder if it was because I decided that I could no longer accept being just as good as everyone else. I wonder what would happen if the church, if you as the body of Christ said, I can no longer handle just being on the shore. I can no longer handle just being in the shallow end. But rather, I want to go into the deep and to allow God to do something even greater in me. I don't know where you're at. Many of you I've talked to, so I have a pretty good idea. But the reality is, God wants to take all of us deeper than we've been willing to go before. The question is, are we willing? I told you earlier that God will only take you as far as you are ready and willing to go. Are you ready for God to do something great in you? Are you willing 
to allow him to do so. If you will bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we first begin with a heart of repentance. Lord, we have sat on the dry ground for too long. There are some of us today in this room who have watched what's happening out in the water and we thought, well, this is so enjoyable to watch, but I'm comfortable here on dry ground. This is what I'm familiar with and I kind of like being here. I like the stability of the way things have always been. But we know deep down inside that we need to go into the water. There are many others in this room today who they've walked into the water, but they have been content to stay in the shallow end. They've been content to play in the water and to enjoy the comfort that is there and knowing that there is at least water around us. But we're missing out on so much. Father, I pray today that you would take each individual who is in here today and move us out into deep water. Father, I pray that you would help us to never be satisfied to merely dabble in the blessing of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to go deep and allow your spirit to walk, to wash us over. Father, I pray today for forgiveness. Where we have settled for average, where we have settled to just be like everyone else. Father, I pray that you would forgive us. And that right now, you would allow us to experience more of you. Lord, I pray for more grace. I pray for more transformation. I pray for more hope and peace. Father, I pray that you would allow us to experience your spirit, not just on Sunday morning or not just at a camp or not just when we're listening to a specific song. Lord, I pray that we would experience your spirit every single moment of our lives. Father, allow us to experience more of you. Father, forgive us where we have fallen short. And from this moment forward, we invite your spirit to have his way in us. May you be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you today to go out into the deep. Yes, we do celebrate the fact that there are many who are in the shallow end. But God has not called us to shallow Christian living. He has called us to go deep and to allow his spirit to truly have his way in us. You are a blessing. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And hopefully I'll see you again next week. Come back and uh, we will worship again together.